910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back. We're forging ahead on to part two of Transformed to Call Evil, Evil. Like we said last week, Christians need to be transformed to recognize when they're hearing false narratives that are unbiblical and know how to respond to the culture with truth. Christians aren't called to be hate mongers in any way, shape, or form. We should not be Westboro Baptist Church protesting with hateful signs. We shouldn't expect unbelievers to act like Christians or to desire the things of God. They're not going to because they can't. That's right. But also, we can't stand by and let unbelievers change the gospel message or try to stop it from being proclaimed. The world needs to hear the gospel message so that they can turn and repent and be saved. That's how we ended last week. We talked about the opportunities in a dark world is that the light of the gospel shines all the brighter. So we can't compromise on that message. And guess what? Sin is a huge part of the gospel message. It's the whole beginning. And it's the only way you can understand what you're being saved from. A person has to recognize that they're a sinner who's broken our perfectly holy God's law. And there's nothing they can do to save themselves. So we can't sugarcoat the truth, nor can we totally throw it out if we want people to understand the gospel. We need to deal with unsaved people kindly and gently. We've been talking about that for weeks. But we need to give them the truth. They need the truth. As you said, Chris, we're not sugar. No, we're not. And we're not called to be sugar anywhere. You know, we need to be wise as serpents, though, when we're dealing with the world. If the last two years has taught us anything, we need to be ready. Trial and tribulation are coming to Christians in places that two years ago felt relatively little or no persecution. And it might continue. It might be ratcheted up. It might be abated for a time. Regardless, we need to be able to stand for the sake of Christ through whatever comes, as we're told to in Matthew 10, 16, while speaking truth into a dark world. And speaking might become dangerous. Not only speaking, but thinking too. We're going to start our discussion on this today. The evil of political correctness, trying to make every thought that doesn't fit in their paradigm criminal. And yeah, we said they think your thoughts are criminal. If you're familiar with George Orwell's novel, 1984, and in my generation, that was required reading in high school, you've heard of thought crimes. Orwell was off on his date, but he was spot on with his ideas about what could happen. Things like racism, sexism, and other things that are morally wrong. There are things Christians need to ask God forgiveness for if there's any of them in us. And we need to ask him to change them in us if we have them. But there shouldn't be laws, and we're not talking about God laws, we're talking about world laws, for thinking them. It's only when someone acts on things that there should be actual worldly laws against. Yeah, but much of the way that Christians think because of what we believe is considered politically incorrect these days. And talking about these beliefs is actually considered by many to be hate speech. We need to be diligent about this because anyone at any time can start calling what we say a hate crime. So let me give you a few examples. I'll I'll start with a non-Christian example so you see what we mean. 
American actor Drake Bell posted on Twitter about Bruce Jenner, who now identifies as a woman. In the post, Bell used male pronouns. Now, we don't know if that was by accident or because it went against his beliefs to do otherwise or why he did it. And the mobs came after him on Twitter. They said he was disgusting and they said other terrible things about him and they harassed him until he was forced to apologize. Now, he didn't face any criminal charges for the tweet, but if he lived in the UK, he might have. In another instance, the Alliance Defending Freedom is defending a high school French teacher who lost his job because he declined to refer to a female student who identified as male using male pronouns. He was trying to be polite and respectful of the student's belief, but he was trying not to violate his own beliefs. It's been happening for a while and it's happening more and more. Jude 1, 18 and 19 says, in the last time there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. We shouldn't be surprised by any of this. The secular world has replaced sin with their own secular standards. We talked about it last time. It's actually another replacement of the gospel of Christ with the gospel of humanity. Political correctness is the new morality. It's turning into a religion in many ways. It's mankind that's being worshiped and here's their gospel. You transgress the law when you're politically incorrect. Then you must repent of what you said, which may involve recanting your beliefs and you must accept punishment if your repentance isn't enough to satisfy whoever decided that they were hurt by your political incorrectness. People lose jobs, they're attacked on social media, their families are attacked, businesses are attacked and ruined. They're, they are getting death threats and they're being doxxed and it's not going to go away. It's a new religion to these people and it hates Christianity. These people promote inclusiveness and equality, but not for Christians and not for anyone who doesn't agree with them. And now we know why God said, don't rely on your feelings. Absolutely. And sadly, it's creeping into the church too. The current NIV Bible changed pronouns like substituting brethren for generic man. A liberal bishop in the evangelical Lutheran church referred to as God the Father as the mother of us all. Some in the Methodist denomination no longer baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They now use in the name of the one who creates all things. That's heresy. It all is. This. It is. And it's evil. And we need to stand firmly against it. Moving on. In the last episode, we talked a lot about brainwashing and indoctrination and normalizing of sin that's coming through media and entertainment. This is coming partially because of something that's particular to the United States called critical race theory. And we've done an episode on this, so we don't want to spend much time on it today. But it's cropping up again in the news because parents are finding out that their children are being taught CRT in school and they're fighting back. And they're doing the right thing by fighting back. CRT is bad. And it's tied to things in Black Lives Matter's manifesto. And again, we're talking about the organization Black Lives Matter. And CRT's false narratives are cropping up in churches, not just in schools. This isn't the civil rights movement in the 60s. That was good. This is insidious. Going back to a simplified nuts and bolts of critical theory for a moment, 
The theory they're putting forth is race is a culturally invented category used to oppress people of color. The end goal is to figure out ways to totally transform society, create a new world order. We talked about this last week, a Marxist utopia. And as we started looking at in the last episode, it's already happening. In addition to that, the color of your skin is just one factor on what's called the intersectionality scale. And we covered this before too, but just to remind you, the factors include gender and race and class and sexual orientation and religion and disability and weight and physical appearance and all kinds of things, anything that might marginalize someone. And, you know, they say the more intersections you have, the more overlapping you know, things you have that are barriers to your opportunity. And the flip side to that is if you are a white, heterosexual, rich or upper class, able-bodied Protestant male, you're the worst of the worst oppressor. It's setting people as oppressors or the oppressed and it's setting people against each other. The Bible doesn't talk about race this way, though. According to the Bible, there is one race, the human race. There are different ethnicities, but only one race. God's people aren't to be divided in any way according to the color of their skin. In the Bible, there are only two kinds of people, sheep and goats. I know sheep and goats aren't people, but there's only two types of people, the righteous and the wicked, the saved and the unsaved. And there's a mix of all ethnicities in both groups. Revelation 7, 9 is only one of many, many, many verses that talks about how many people from all tribes are going to be saved. And it says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's the end of it. We're not supposed to be separated. No, we're not. So what does this have to do with the church? Well, it's replacing the gospel of Christ with a new one. Many churches, including some reformed teachers and churches, we are ashamed to say, have embraced CRT. Instead of teaching that all people have systematic sin problem and calling people to repentance and salvation in Christ, they're teaching CRT's idea of evil, systematic racism and marginalization based totally on external things. And they're calling people to repent of this by shutting up and making up for it through reparations. And you might be asking, how's this all going to happen? Well, First of all, by trying to rewrite history to show systematic racism in the way that CRT views it. The 1619 Project is a rewrite of American history with the intent to, and this is their quote, reframe the country's history by crossing out 1776 as America's founding date and substituting 1619, the year 20 or so African slaves were brought to Jamestown, Virginia. Rose, this is more indoctrination of our children and adults through education. CRT is the very thing that parents are finding out about and they're fighting back against it. Like I said, like what happened with the Virginia governor's race. That's right. And what happened in San Francisco recently where they got rid of the school board by a huge margin. And San Francisco is known to be a very liberal city. There's a lot of ways CRT is attempting to bring change. 
Pastors are even calling Christians to repent of their whiteness in the name of social justice. Some pastors are pushing their congregants to read the book White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. Some are doing group studies of the book. Social justice has been creeping into the church and replacing the gospel message in some cases for a long time. In chapter 14 of The Reason for God by Pastor Tim Keller, who was a renowned reform pastor for a while, but actually he's a huge social justice advocate and a lot more liberal than I think people realized for a long time. He's also a George Soros guy. Anyway, he writes, the son of God was born into the world to begin a new humanity, a new community of people who could lose their self-centeredness, begin a God-centered life, and as a result, slowly but surely have all other relationships put right as well. He goes on to say the purpose of Jesus coming is to put the whole world aright. Hmm. In his notes in the back of his later book, Generous Justice, he calls Jesus's life, death, and resurrection an infinitely costly rescue operation to restore justice to the oppressed and marginalized. He goes on to say that Jesus offered his blood, and I'm quoting again, in order to honor moral justice and merciful love so that someday he can destroy all evil without destroying us. And he says a lot of other things that are not the gospel. Yeah, and we don't want to confuse you, but Jesus did not come to restore the world or to restore moral justice to everybody. Another one, another famous guy who, sorry, he's a false teacher is Max Licato. And Chris, you and I have very strong feelings about some of his teachings. At his best, he's watered down. At his worst, he's heretical. But he and his wife publicly repented of their white ancestors' acts of racism. Pastors are trying to make a biblical case for reparations. White congregations are being called to repent of their ancestors' bigotry, their racism, and their slaveholding. Now, that might sound like kindness and niceness, but the question we all have to ask is, is it biblical? No, it's not. Is it biblical to ask the congregation to repent of things that they have not done? No, it's not. The proponents of this contend that they see collective sin and collective repentance in passages where God talks about visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, and where Daniel repents of the past sin of Israel. And there are other examples of corporate repentance in scripture, and we can corporately repent on Sundays. But when we do that, we're repenting corporately of things we are all individually guilty of. But we're not individually guilty of the sin of slavery that happened in the past in our country, even if it was done by some of our ancestors. Just to, in a nutshell, corporate repentance means we're all guilty of sinning against God. But we're not, we don't repent of my great-great-grandfather was a slaveholder. Absolutely. Ezekiel 18, 14 to 20 says, now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, he shall die for this iniquity. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. 
nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Likewise, in Deuteronomy 24, 16, it says, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. There's others too, of course. Pastor Sam Storms had a great comment about this. And here's what he said. I'm going to quote him. He said, we should renounce, repudiate, and disavow the sins of our ancestors or our contemporaries with whom we're in close relationship. We should make it clear by confession and behavior that we want no part of that sort of wicked behavior, that we wish never to repeat such sinful activity, and that we choose to distance ourselves from the destructive consequences that follow upon the sinful behavior of our ancestors or contemporaries. But to renounce the sins of others is not the same as repenting for the sins of others. Absolutely. Our sin is our sin, not someone else's, and their sin is not ours. Like we've been saying, most of this evil that we've been talking about comes out of CRT and BLM. And speaking of that, moving on to our next evil, if you remember in the last episode, we talked about declaring your sexual orientation, a right that's being protected and can possibly be considered hate speech when it's viewed negatively. Well, let me just tell you. There's a new orientation just cresting the horizon, and it's evil, and we need to stand against it. In Psalm 82, 4, God is judging the magistrates of the time. He's admonishing them and telling them what they should be doing. And in verse 4, they're told to rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Well, here's another way that we as Christians need to be doing that. Absolutely. Children definitely fall into the category of the weak and needy. Throughout scripture, children are constantly, we're told to protect them. And they're being attacked on two fronts right now, abortion and infanticide, which is we're going to get to in a minute, and the new sexual orientation that's probably soon going to be asked to be a protected orientation like the others. In fact, there's a whole bunch of people fighting to have it recognized as an orientation. And that's pedophilia. And if that doesn't make you sick, and just as a definition, pedophilia is a persistent sexual interest in children. In 2018, a woman named Merjam Neen presented a TED Talk arguing that pedophilia should be accepted as an unchangeable sexual orientation. The liberal magazine, aneenjusticemag.com, states that while many LGBTQT people would not want pedophiles added to their LGBTQT plus spectrum, there are some who are fighting for the right for it to be. They don't want to be referred to as pedophiles, which they consider a slur. They want to be referred to as minor attracted persons. And Chris, it makes me physically ill. Yeah, me too, but it shouldn't come as much of a surprise. No. I mean... The far left does not care. That's been made completely obvious in the last few years with the Epstein Island thing and Jelaine Maxwell. People with wealth and influence went to that island regularly. They have lists of the people that flew on the plane there. Some are ex-presidents. Some of our ex-presidents. And guess what? Those people are still lauded and applauded as being great people by the wicked. And by some Christians. And by some Christians. 
children have been given very low status as human beings by the left for a long time. In fact, one of the left's favorite hero organizations, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, their catchphrase for a long time has been, a pig is a rat, is a dog, is a boy. You know what it is now? It's end speciesism, which shows you how they still view children or all humans and animals as the same. When you view children that way, it's no wonder you'd be willing to subject them to pedophiles who can never be punished because it's just their sexual orientation or not even given a child a chance at life because you're endorsing and applauding abortion. Yeah, these are definitely things we need to strongly come out against. Stop cowering and caving. You know, we should say, if you've had an abortion, we want anyone listening who is struggling to know that God will and can forgive you. In fact, all these things we're talking about are redeemable. God can forgive you. Jesus's death on the cross paid for all the sins of all his people, not just some. If you aren't a believer and you're struggling with guilt of any kind, God sent his son so that anyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And that's Acts 10, 43. Jesus left heaven, came to earth as a baby, lived a perfectly holy life that we cannot do and took the punishment all of us deserve in our place. It's only by believing and trusting in that that we're saved. So we don't want to seem insensitive to those of you who may have had an abortion or who are involved in any of the stuff that we're talking about because there is forgiveness for you. Absolutely. And if you haven't asked God for forgiveness before and trusted in what he's already done for you, then do it and let him take the weight of guilt and shame away from you. And like you said, Rose, Jesus paid for all that sin, including abortion. And the reason we're talking about this today is because the fight is ramping up. The world has changed the wording they use again. They spout statistics that are misleading or outright lies. And conservative state legislators have passed new laws trying to limit the number of abortions. And the wicked are angry. They're seething about that. They are seething. Abortion is one of those categories that they're willing to draw blood over. And I don't understand why, but that's just how it is. We want to give you the tools to see the misleading language, to counter the false narratives, and talk about other things that Christians can do to stop the onslaught against unborn children. The world tells us that abortion is health care and that it's necessary because it protects the health of the mother. And notice we said health of the mother, not life of the mother. The terminology the world is using has changed because needing an abortion to protect the life of the mother is a very rare occurrence. Right. Danger to a mother is mostly associated with ectopic pregnancy in which both the mom and the child are going to die. Most other situations where the mother may be in danger don't come along until a point when the baby is viable, meaning that the baby can live if the mother would carry it until she was actually in danger. By changing the wording from life of a mother to health of a mother, it opens up the possibility for abortion to happen for a whole host of reasons. Pretty much any reason that a mother decides is better for her health in some way, even mental health. Bringing the baby into the world isn't the goal of the pro-choice movement at all. Now, and just quoting from NARL, which is a pro-choice America website, they say, here's the quote, freedom is for everybody, 
Reproductive rights are essential for achieving gender equality. Reproductive freedom means having affordable access to all reproductive health care options. Again, notice the language, including birth control and abortion care. It also means supporting people who choose to work while pregnant and those raising families. NARL is powered by 2.5 million members in every state and congressional district. They say they represent eight in 10 Americans who believe everybody should have the freedom to make the best decisions for themselves about if and when and how to start or grow a family, free from political interference. You know that eight in 10 number, 80% that they cited for people that support the freedom to make the decision themselves is an outright lie when the question is framed in light of abortion. In 2021, Forbes did a study and found 23% of people say it should be legal in all cases, and 33% say only in most cases, with only 34% believing abortion should be legal in the second trimester, and only 19 saying that it should be legal during the third. And I'm saying only, only because that's how the report cited it. Rose, in 2019, the then Virginia governor, Ralph Northam, he's not the current governor, faced backlash after stating support for defending born alive abortions for infants. It was only when people jumped on that statement that he backed off and said, oh, he only meant for non-viable or severely deformed infants. As a doctor describes it, this is where, and this is the quote from the doctor, the infant would be delivered, the infant would be kept comfortable, the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. And that's the end of the quote. But what they're saying is the discussion would continue between the doctor and the mother about whether she wanted that baby to be killed. That's right. And his original statement, which is on video everywhere, he said, if a mother has a baby and decides she doesn't want it, that they'll just keep the baby comfortable, but basically they'll just let the infant starve to death. And there's a time frame where she has to decide if she wants it or not. This is where the United States is at this subject, where a lot of the West is. It's infocide. That's what it is. We're talking about a baby being born alive. And they can change things and say, well, they think sometime the baby's going to die, you know, but you don't know that. We were told my grandson wouldn't survive. He's four years old and couldn't be more alive. Or that a baby's too deformed by the mother's standards since she's the one making the call. And notice that the father is never involved in any of this. So what they're saying is the doctor could kill a baby after discussing it with her mother. And this is getting huge support. Yeah. So what's next? Elderly parents are too much of a burden Teenagers get incredibly hard health issues to deal with, you know, and this seems like hyperbole, but Chris, when they started with same-sex marriage, there was a bunch of us who knew that pedophilia and bestiality was going to be the logical conclusion, and now it's coming true. And now we see this going down the same type of pike. That's right. And we have to look at, if you say this is okay, what's next? You right. know, these situations are extremely hard. But we're talking about conversations that government officials are openly having about legally taking a life. 
without anyone having the opportunity to step in and protect that life. The father has no rights in any of this. It's a sad day when laws have to be passed to ensure that if a baby is born, a doctor must give it life-saving medical care. I mean, that's tragic. It sounds insane to say it out loud. It does. what's happening. And in general, most conservative Christians are on the same page overall that abortion is sin. But if you're a Christian and you're not on that page, there's some tough questions that you need to ask yourself. Most uh, professing Christians who feel abortion is not wrong are basing that stance on the mother's feelings or what kind of life the child may have because of finances or their circumstances or whatever. These decisions are all emotion-based. And they're based on our human perspective, not the word of God. It's like saying God can't change any circumstances that we might possibly find ourselves in. That's right. You know, and this is hard to say, but even in the case of rape or incest, is that child conceived any less of a human being? And we realize that for the mother, that would be a time of turmoil and emotional upheaval. But if we really believe that God can do anything and can change any circumstances and can and will use all things for our good, according to Romans 8.28, and for his glory, doesn't that apply to all situations? Absolutely. It absolutely does. Make no mistake about it. The abortion debate is motivating voters in 2022 on both sides. And the reason it's going to be such a hot issue is because laws are changing. According to Bloomberg, during the first month of Texas's abortion ban, that's the heartbeat law that a lot of states have followed and passed, the abortions decreased by 60%. We see these heartbeat laws in lots of states, and Mm -hmm. we see lots of fighting over them, and the liberal left trying to get control. We need to be knowledgeable about what's happening in the world, in all of our countries, and we need to do what we can to keep or make our governments wield the sword that God gave them the authority to wield, but not overstep their bounds. That's right. Regardless of what's being pushed on us, we have to think deeply about these things and possibly investigate a bit on our own. And never, ever are we to let the government tell us to do something contrary to scripture. We need to be careful who we listen to. Yes. Because another overreach of the state is likely going to happen, and probably not in the too distant future. We need to be on our toes. Romans 16, 17 to 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. That's the end of the verse. All of these things that we've been talking about in these past two episodes stem from a liberal ideology. It's very much like a new religion. And I'm going to quote from a very, very good podcast called Just Thinking. And here's their quote. There is a new religion. A new religion has emerged to replace cultural Christianity. And the new religion has no problem proclaiming what they believe and demanding others to obey. A new religion has a new church, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This new religion has new leaders, like the prophet Fauci. This new religion has saints, 
their own saints they pay homage to and put murals up for like George Floyd in Minneapolis or St. Brianna Taylor in Pittsburgh. This new religion has holy days like January 6th. And they even have special holidays like drag queen reading hour at the local library near you. This new religion has their own pronouns like Z, Zim, Zer, or Zerself, or Zimself. If you think that this new religion is not to be taken seriously, their positions are continually being codified into law so that those who violate the new religion can appropriately be punished and removed from society. End of quote. And they sum up so many things going on very nicely. Excellent podcast. It's long, but it's definitely worth listening to. Mm-hmm. The far left is serious about what they're doing, and they're not going to stop. We can't change someone's heart by enacting laws, and we can't expect unbelievers to act like believers. Should we make laws that ban two consenting adults from homosexuality? No. But we should stand against the proclaiming of God's word being considered hate speech, even when it says homosexuality in God's eyes is a sin. That's what we need to do. Absolutely. Christians are often told they shouldn't try to legislate morality and that they should keep their religious values out of the public policy. In other words, Christians shouldn't force their values on others. But if Christians fight back against these things, are they really doing that? I mean, what does the Bible say about how our faith and values should influence our laws, regardless of what country we're in, if we have the opportunity to influence them? The fact is that all law is based on someone's morality. Every law presupposes that something ought to be or ought not to be. And that's always on the basis of someone's moral principles. So it's not a matter of whether the law imposes morality, but whose morality is being imposed. Christians aren't trying to make every moral principle a law. We can't, and we should. This country and most other countries are not theocracies, meaning run on the law of God. No country is God's country. None of us is ancient Israel. Matter of fact, ancient Israel wasn't even ancient Israel as far as geography. (laughs) And we're not even today's Israel. We're not trying to go back to that. God's people are individuals that he calls, not a country. We're not trying to force people into Christianity. We can't, nor should we. Nor could we even do it because it's completely up to God. Absolutely. But at the same time, God has appointed human governments to be his servants to carry out wrath on the wrongdoer, according to Romans 13, 3 to 4. This requires that some morals be put into law. Again, the question is not whether moral principles should be legislated, but which ones should. The government can't regulate our relationship with God, and it should stay out of governing our worship practices or trying to govern what we believe and what we can teach as a result of what we believe. But it can and it should put laws into place about how we interact with each other. Laws that punish murderers, thieves, rapists, kidnappers, and it should protect the weak and vulnerable like children. And the law is not protecting the weak right now. In fact, it's protecting the criminal. But we should make sure as God's people that the laws that are in effect punish those who commit the immoral acts, not the victims. Like thieves openly robbing stores and then threatening to sue the store owner or employee for racism if they try to stop them. We should have laws that protect citizens from being sued by a robber or a rapist 
or anyone else on private property who's doing something immoral. If they get hurt or even killed or in self-defense by the owner, believe it or not, these things are cases and they're being done. I just heard this morning that a police department is paying $10 million to people because they got hit in the riots with rubber bullets. Crazy. It's We've totally turned everything up on its head. That's right. The victims are the oppressors and the criminals are the oppressed in, in many cases. I'm not going to say blanket all. It's mm. happening a lot. And this stuff is being applauded and sanctioned through the guise of CRT and BLM and equity. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a time of watchfulness and it's a time of opportunity. We need to pray for evil to be thwarted and we need to pray for hearts to be regenerated and for opportunities to share the gospel message. When it comes to living in a hostile culture, many Christians choose to either assimilate or separate. Assimilation means you become like the world that you're living in, but God calls his people to separate. Not like the Amish or the Mennonite communities. We're not to separate away from the culture and not engage it. We're to separate ourselves from the sin that the culture is diving headlong into and yet still stand firm for the gospel of our Lord and Savior and preach it to a dark and dying world because they need to hear it. Absolutely. Our memory verse this week is from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And that's a good place to end for today. And don't forget, if you're looking for a speaker for your women's conference or retreat, email us at Proverbs910Ministries at gmail.com or fill out the form on the resources page of our website. Have a blessed day, everybody. 